It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome in to the final drive with Corey Labounty, Michael Broder behind the glass, and... We talked about yesterday with the South Alabama Jaguars wanting a whiteout at the Mitchell Center, taking on a Southern Miss team that comes over from Hattiesburg, a team that South Alabama played very tough in the first trip over to Hattiesburg, came up a little short there the last minute of the game. But last night, folks, it was all South Alabama all the time and head coach Richie Riley joins us this afternoon on the final drive coach good afternoon and welcome to your debut on the final drive thank you it's good to be on I appreciate you guys taking the time to have me on coach last night your team really sent a message not only to you as coaches but to the fans and to the rest of the Sunbelt Conference that you guys, when you put a complete game together offensively and defensively, that it's going to be contender status for the South Alabama Jaguar program. You guys win 85-54 to over Southern Miss. You outscore them in the first half, 42-27. to Talk about coming into that game, what your mentality had to be in regards to winning this game and what you told your team after the game as well. Yeah, our guys embraced the challenge. That was that was the message um, after Hartford on Monday. Is You got the league leader coming in here. They got a two-game lead on everybody. We played them tough down at their place, um, had opportunity to win. And, you know, accept the challenge and want that challenge of having having them come into your place in, in a big game. And, and our guys responded. They came out. We got off to a great start. We really did a nice job of guarding them, making things tough for the big three. Um, they got three guys that are all averaging 15-plus points. And we held those guys below their average, did a nice job. And then offense, their execution was good. Against their matchup zone, we attacked it. We moved the ball. Got a lot of points in the paint, and then the second half, three started to drop. And when that happened, we kind of got away from them. And um, I, I thought we did a nice job of showing some maturity and closing the game the right way. And, and after the game, I just told them, you know, we've been saying this for weeks, um, you know, because we, we've gotten better and we've eliminated some of those close losses. We had more close losses than maybe anybody in the country. And um, I just told them, you know, this is what you're capable of doing. You know, it's when we're locked in, you know, we've got that competitive fight because um, we got really good kids. They're always they're always locked in from a standpoint of understanding game plan. But sometimes our fight hadn't been where it needed to be um, from a competitive standpoint. So it, it's getting there. We're getting better at that. And it, it, it's obviously shown in the last few weeks. We've won six of seven. Um, probably should have been seven of seven. Pretty sure won seven in a row. We had a, you know, 
kind of debacle at the end of the Troy game, the last minute 20. Um, but, you know, you, you learn from those, and, and I think I think we'll be better better from all the hard, hardships we went through throughout the year, um, especially the next couple of weeks. No question about it. We're talking to Richie Riley, the head men's basketball coach at South Alabama. They had a big-time win over Conference Foe and one of the newest rivals in the Sunbelt Conference. Of course, we know about the rivalry with Troy, but Southern Miss being less than 90 minutes away. I think that you know when you start looking at the number of Golden Eagle fans that you wanted to send out of the Mitchell Center with frowns on their face, you were able to do that. But more importantly, you were able to get back to 500 and really play a complete game, Coach. I think that's the biggest thing because you've seen some scores throughout the season to where you guys have turned it up defensively but haven't been able to hit shots. And then you've flipped the script on that to where you've been able to hit shots but not been able to stop people. I think this is the type of team effort that you have been wanting to see throughout conference play. Yeah, it is. It was a consistency we need, and you know you're exactly right. There's been been moments where we've kind of kind of not put the two together, and we've we've really put some things together. Um, last night, obviously, defensively held them to their lowest point total of the season, and they have a really good team. I mean, that's obvious with their record. Um, but we also scored 85, um, which is an incredible number against them. Had 19 assists, seven turnovers. Um, which is almost three to one. And, you know, that's who we want to be. We don't, we got a team, you know, and our program's kind of based on that. We don't want to, we don't want to beat ourselves. We want to value the ball. We want to minimize mistakes. And then defensively, we want to be gritty and tough. And last night we were that. And, um, you know, again, we got really good kids. They, they've given, they've given great effort, great focus, and um, they're starting to see it pay off. And that's the beautiful thing about coaching is when, when you coach guys like, I'm fortunate enough to coach with these guys we have and you get to see them see the reward of some hard work and you know they're finally getting to see that and um you know hopefully we'll continue we got to keep getting better we got time to get better and then we got to keep keep showing up for the 40 you know those 40 minutes keep showing up and and when we do that uh, I think we can be right there to beat anybody in our league you know there's a lot of parity um, but I think we can be there to beat anybody when we show up and we play the right way. When you start talking about Southern Miss, I mean, their conference record is now 12-3, and three, and there is a lot of parity in the league, but the great thing about the parity in the Sunbelt Conference, especially from your standpoint, is when you were at 10th place coming into last night's contest you bump up one spot and you look at your remaining schedule who you have left senior night on tomorrow you have Louisiana Monroe at the Mitchell Center then you're at Texas State and you're at Louisiana and these are teams that you have an opportunity in definitely in Louisiana and also Louisiana Monroe who's sitting right there even with you guys not to lose any ground but gain ground going into that Sunbelt Conference tournament that's going to be held in Pensacola, Florida? Yeah, every game is incredibly important. Um, and you got three left. And and like you said, everybody, a lot of people right there tight. And, you know, seeding is important. You know, we're in one-bid league, so you're going down there to 
to to try to try to win it. You know, you got to win the tournament, and how you're seated obviously helps that. If you can get yourself to where you get to play one last game, or you know, a matchup that is more favorable for you. And the goal is obviously to keep this thing going and win win all of them. You know, and that and you know when you do that, you climb pretty quick. And you know, again, you want to be in the best situation you can be in from a seating standpoint because conference tournaments like ours are it's grueling. You know, you gotta win three games in three days or four games in four days, whatever it is. And, you know, everybody's on a neutral floor. Um and you go down there and you just go to battle. But the least amount of games you can play the better. So and and I, and I do think, man, if we can continue to do what we're doing, we could end up, you know, with a seed where where it could be, you know, a big advantage. And and I think I think Pensacola is a great a great venue to have it, and it's great for for us because hopefully we get some fans down there. It's a short trip down there, um, so that we can hopefully form our own home court advantage down there and 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 stay down there and play a bunch of games. Again, when you look at the production all season long from Isaiah Moore, he's just been solid for you. Played 27 minutes last night, wound up having 16 points. And your big fella, Kevin Samuel, he's been a tremendous difference maker for you as well because when you guys played at Troy, really didn't score the basketball. I think he made his presence known early in the contest with a putback slam one-handed style and catching an alley-oop to really gain the momentum, but also being solid is your freshman, James Franklin. And when you have three or four guys that are really putting in double figures, I think that makes you a totally different team. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, Kev was huge early. When he establishes himself as a as an offensive threat by getting low, low deep catches, then it changes our team. Um, you know, pretty much every night he's going to be a presence defensively. He's one of the best shot blockers um, in the history of college basketball. Um, one of the best rebounders in the history of college basketball. But when he establishes himself offensively early in games, it, it makes a huge difference. And, and talking about Isaiah Moore, I mean, he's one of the best players in our league. Um, he, he came in as a Division II All-American and he operates with a chip on his shoulder, um, just a toughness and a you know a true chip. You know he wants to go out and show everybody that he belongs, and he's done that. He's um, to me it would be it would be an absolute joke if he's not first team all league. I mean if he's not one of the best five players in our league. Um, then then I'm in the wrong profession. I don't know what I'm looking at because he's he has been special, and um, he continues to get better and better and. You know, we've had to, he's really had to carry us a lot of times this year. Um, but like you said, recently we're getting production from some other guys, some double figure scoring nights. And, and that helps him because he's also a great passer. So when we're making shots from the perimeter, um, especially when we touch that paint and spray it around, then, then it makes us kind of a complete offensive team. Um, so hopefully we can continue those guys' confidence is getting better and better. Jamar Franklin, four or five from three last night. Um, he's he's a guy who's going to be a really good player here. He's, he's just growing up. He's 18 years old. He's young to be a freshman, and um, he's growing up. And I, I was really happy for him last night because it was such a confidence builder in, in that environment against 
a really good team to play the way that he did. I think it's going to help moving forward. Well, your margin of victory, which was 31 points, tied for the largest under your regime as the head coach in a Sunbelt Conference game. And, again, just being able to lock in and snapping that Southern Miss winning streak, you couldn't ask for a better boost. And it's a lot of basketball being played by your team. Again, you mentioned Hartford coming in on Monday. Then you turn around last night and have the league-leading Southern Miss Golden Eagles to take on atop the Sunbelt Conference. And then tomorrow you take on ULM at 3 o'clock p.m. in the final home game of the 2022-23 season. I know you're looking forward to, to really digging in and getting prepared for what's at hand at the Mitchell Center tomorrow night. Yeah, it's another challenge. Every night in this league is such a challenge. Um, there's so many good teams. Monroe um, has dropped a few here late, but they have some big road wins this year. And, you know, it's going to be a challenge. And tomorrow's important for me, and it's important for our program. Um, every game is, but tomorrow especially, it's senior day, and we love to send these guys out on a winning note the last time they play in the Mitchell Center, um, whether you're a kid that's been here for a year or you've been here for four years. It's, um, it's out it's how it should be. You know, you want to you want to win your last home, and, and um, so our guys are going to have some motivation. Our underclass, when they understand how important it is, and um, it, even the guys that have been here for one year, they've really enjoyed our fans. Um, they've loved their experience here. So this place is special to them, even though it's been you know a, a ten month day. Um, by the end of it, it's they our fans have really embraced them. And they've embraced their fans and you know, built some really meaningful relationships. So they want to go out, out the right way and, and also keep the momentum going. You know, again, we won six out of seven games. We've led in every minute of all these games except for like a minute and a half, I think. So we want to keep that momentum going and keep, keep raising the bar of how well we're playing. Coach, I think that, again, they call it March Madness for a reason. I call it the February frenzy to where you have to finish up strong. It's not really how you start. You go ahead and you have the toughest schedule that you can possibly have when you start looking at Alabama and Oklahoma and traveling to New Mexico State to get and play in the pit, having those tough games that really prepare you physically and mentally for this last March Madness grind that's going to happen here as you have three games remaining. And, Coach, a, a tremendous job. Your, your your best basketball to me is still in front of you. You showed glimpses of what can happen to all the fans, and including yourself, because I know that's really out. Welcome back to the final drive with Corey LeBounty. Michael Bronner taking your phone calls. He's behind the glass making everything happen for us here on the final drive. And again, you can give us a call here at 251-694-1055 is how you can call in and get in touch with us. Don't forget today is the last day of WNSP Days of Revelry. We have a Toomey's swag bag for you today, a Toomey's swag bag for you. Just make sure you listen in for that Mardi Gras music, and you can receive that Toomey's swag bag. 
when Michael plays that Mardi Gras music. It's the WNSP Days of Reverie. And I tell you, somebody who I was hoping would have a lot of reverie today, Michael, was Tiger Woods. As yesterday, we saw Tiger Woods do what Tiger Woods does. And at the Genesis Invitational yesterday, a 2-under 69. It was the first time that he had birdied three straight holes since the 2020 Masters. And again, his partners, Rory McIlroy and Justin Thomas, teeing off with him today. We wanted that tiger needle to move today. How, how'd it go for him, Mike? Uh, he, he was not as good today. I, here's the thing. He's hitting the ball pretty well. He missed some very makeable putts. He made some nice ones, too, uh, so I guess that evens out. But, yeah, he missed a couple of you know four or five foot putts that you or I would miss. Uh, so that was unfortunate, but he finished at one over uh, for the tournament, so three over on the day today. There is a chance that the cut line moves to one over, so that he's not officially done, but he is finished for the day. Uh, on 18, which he really needed to par uh, to at least almost get all but guarantee himself a spot in the for the weekend, he needed he really needed to chip in for par. And we were Corey and I were watching it live. He he chipped and it was rolling to the hole and uh, it limped right out. It was just moving a bit too quick. It, he nearly put it in. Uh, and it would have been spectacular, but not to be. He did bogey to finish one over for uh, the, over the first two rounds. So a chance he still uh, makes the cut, but certainly not the way he wanted to finish today. Well, we know when he teed off this morning, temperatures were in the high 40s. And again, with Tiger Woods having major back issues and having a surgically repaired right ankle, you, you know that plenty of ice is what he needed and treatment before he teed off but had that early tee time and and that just made it tough for him and you know yesterday tiger was kind of i i, I don't know how to say this kindly i will let our listeners go and google and find out why tiger has been talked about in a negative way outside of of golf and you have to remember when he tees off with two of his his best friends Justin Thomas and Roy McIlroy they always you know creme de la creme there but they had a little inside joke going on and just so happens that you have to remember that those cameras are on you at all times and Tiger's taking a lot of heat for the joke that he did play on his friend but I will say this we all know that the Tiger the Tiger phenomenon it's real. The The needle definitely moves when he's playing golf, whether I was hoping he'd make the cut and just be able to kind of knock off the rust. But when you're talking about making it through an entire day, that makes it tough for him to do, Mike. Yeah, I mean, we uh, talked a lot about the fact that he has said he's not there to play just ceremonial golf and, you know, be a caricature of himself almost and just be there to be there he's there because he thinks he can win but again at the same time he hasn't walked 72 holes of golf over four days at all uh since the accident a couple years ago so uh it's hard to i mean there was no chance he was gonna win uh whether he believes that or, or not deep down is another question you only uh only he knows that but that being said uh he certainly was 
striping the golf ball. He he was he was mashing it down the fairway. He's a couple holes. He's out driving Rory and JT. Uh, so the game is still there with him. It, it, it's more so just the can he hold up over four days of golf, which you understand if if he can't. I mean, it, it's uh, it's a difficult thing to do. He woke up probably at 3 a.m. today because he had to tee off at 7 o'clock California time and uh, received two hours of treatment on his legs just to be able to get out there. So, Well, again, Tiger playing to me is better than no Tiger playing at all and we'll continue to see how the rounds unfold here at the genesis invitational genesis invitational at the riviera country club and see will tiger actually go ahead and make the cut when we come back of course there's been some great high school action going on in montgomery alabama we'll keep you posted how our local teams are doing and we'll talk with the victorious coach of one of those local teams coming up next here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Hi, I'm Michael Pierce, NFL defensive tackle. When I'm in the city of Mobile, you can normally find me at WNSP 105.5. <laughs> Welcome back to the final drive with Corey LeBounty. Michael Bronner taking your phone calls at 251-694-1055 and does a great job of producing this show from behind the glass. And again, we had high school basketball action today in Montgomery. Of course, we had the postponement of some games yesterday, but big time win for the Theodore High School girls as they defeated the number one, excuse me, the number five ranked team in the state of Alabama, Carver Montgomery, earlier this morning, 41 to 37, along with McGill Tulin Boys defeating Park Crossing 58 to 55. McGill Boys will now take on the Blunt Boys because Blunt defeated Pike Road 52 to 47 in overtime and the McGill Tooling girls defeated Park Crossing 49 to 29 which sets up that McGill Tooling versus Theodore High School girls action to punch their ticket to go to the final four in Birmingham and it's a pleasure to be joined this afternoon by Theodore's girls basketball coach in her first year as the Lady Bobcats head basketball coach, Tassie Washam, joining us. Coach, congratulations on the win this morning. Thank you so much. Let's talk about how your Lady Bobcats were able to come away with a big-time win, 41 to 37 winners it sounds like it was a close and very competitive matchup in order to play the mcgill tulin yellow jackets for an opportunity to punch your ticket to go to birmingham yes it was a it was a nail fight it was a really good game but i um told my girls going in that we just need to take everything out of the equation what people are saying you know that we were the underdogs and and we just need to play defense, stay focused, um, take the referees out the equation, take the crowd out the equation, and do what we do best, just play field or basketball. 
Let's talk about some of the young ladies doing what they did best. And I know you have a junior by the name of Jasmine Bingham. And she had 19 points to go along with 15 rebounds. Let's talk about that uh, and her ability to get that double-double for your Lady Bobcats who were able to defeat the number five-ranked Carver Montgomery Wolverines. Uh, well, this it was a double double is nothing new to Jasmine Bingham. She's put in the work um, all year long, and um, I think every game we played except two, she's averaged a double double. Um, I remember right before tournament time started, she sat me down and said, "Coach, you got to push me more. You got to push me more." So I took that as a sign of her growing up, you know, taking the leadership responsibilities and wanting it all, you know, basically on her shoulders. Not that I wanted to put it all on her shoulders because it's always a team effort. Um, but um, I think she stepped up for us and did great. I was anticipating them double-teaming her, and when they did not, I just said, hey, look, we got to get her more touches in the game. Let's talk about this being your first year as the girls' basketball coach at Theodore. And how did you wind up coming to Theodore? Where did you come from? And how long did it really take for your girls to become acclimated to the way Coach Washam wanted to do things? Um, I came from minor high school in Birmingham. Um, great school. It was, you know, sometimes you, it's just your time is up. It's ran, ran its course, and it's time for something new and different. And I just happened to apply different places, and um, Theodore called, and I came to interview. And um, before I left, they offered me the job. But I had already prayed about it before I went in there that if, if God wanted me to be wherever he wanted me to be, let him offer it to me while I'm there because I know usually they don't do that. They give you a couple of a couple of days and they call you back. And so once they offered me that day, I knew um, that this is the move that God wanted me to make. So I took it. Um, it took a while. Summer was pretty rough. And a couple of months was pretty rough because they wouldn't, um, I guess, acclimate it to – you know, what I wanted them to do and what I was trying to pull from them. I guess they did not understand what was, you know, farther in there. I was reaching. Um, they was already talented, not to take nothing away from them or the a coach before me, but I just seen more in there, and I was reaching deep to get that out of them, and there were some days that they didn't understand. But once they got on the same page and understood that I just wanted the best for them, then they bought in, and the process has been a whole lot smoother. Coach, I think the the awesome part about you taking the job, too, is it was a transition time for Theodore Lady Bobcat basketball and really the entire Theodore Bobcat nation transitioning from 7A to 6A. And that meant new opponents and new expectations and having an opportunity to get back to Birmingham in a totally different classification, but playing a tough Wolverines team today that ended their season at 26-3 and did Carver Montgomery. And now you look moving forward, you're going to play a foe in another Mobile, Alabama foe in McGill Tulin. And that's what you love to see. When you see our local teams battling one another, for a chance to guarantee to have representation from the Mobile, Baldwin County area in Birmingham. That's what it's all about. Yes, that's what it's all about. Um, I'm excited about it. Um, two Mobile teams and, um, 
that ended up in the uh, regional championship for the South. Um, Miguel Tulum is a very good team and coach really, really well. You know, they have five seniors that start, so they have a lot of experience. Um, and I think it's going to be a fun and good time. Um, I'm just going to challenge my girls to rise to the occasion. We've been doing extra all year because when you move from 7A to 6A, there's an extra play-in game. So that's been our mentality all year. We're going to do extra, do an extra 30 minutes of practice, do an extra lap, do an extra sprint, because we knew that it took an extra game to get where we were trying to go in 7A. So that's just the same mindset we're going to keep. We just got to give extra. When we're playing great teams, that's you know, been there and it's ranked higher than us. All we think about is giving that extra, and that's what we're going to stick with, and um, we're going to go out and, and, and do the best that we can do. Now, again, the Lady Bobcats will play uh, their rival or a new rival in McGill Tulin, and that's for the South Regional title at 9 a.m., Next week, Wednesday, Ash Wednesday is what they call it, and you guys will have the opportunity to get a rematch because McGill Tulin did beat the Lady Bobcats on January 31st. So uh -huh. not too long ago, just a couple of weeks ago, you guys went to action. What was the final score in that game where you played a couple of weeks ago? <laughs> a lot to a little. They end up beating us about, like, 20. Um but I think it, I mean, not to discredit them in any type of way, but we had just one area. Uh, well, we're on the number one seat for the area. And um, we we had McGill, Tula, and we had BC Rain left. And I think um, we were, the girls were more so eyed towards area play. Um, those games were not as important as the area games we had just played and set ourselves up with a great position. Um, so I think we kind of took those those last two games um, for granted. But I think um, we got a chance to see there was a time during the game where we could cut it to seven, you know, made them turn it over. We're capable of playing with them. We just started off a little slow um, and got outside of ourselves. So, they're like I said, they're a very great team. And it is hard to win in McGill. They have the one of the best student sections. You know, like I said, they're well coached. So um, that was a hard time. So we're going to go back. We're going to revisit some things. Um, we're going to watch that film. We're going to correct some things. And, hey, it's playoff time. Anything can happen. Like, this is the time where magic happens and on this road, and we're believing in ourselves, and we're believing in our program, and we're sticking to what we know. And we're going to go out and play the best that we can play. Five days away from showtime with the McGill Tulin Lady Yellow Jackets with an opportunity to punch your ticket to the Final Four at stake again, 9 a.m. next Wednesday in Montgomery, Alabama. It goes down to Mobile. Alabama teams having an opportunity in 6A girls basketball to make their mark. Coach, I just want to congratulate you in your first year, all that you have accomplished, and I know that you have yet to finish what you wanted and where you wanted your girls to end. But Ratasia Washam, the head girls basketball coach at Theodore High School, joining us this afternoon on the final drive as her young ladies defeated the number five ranked Carver Montgomery Lady Wolverines 41-37. to Be safe, coach, and look forward okay. to keeping everyone updated on what the score is next week. All right. Thank you so much. Coach Washam joining us. She is the Theodore Lady Bobcats head coach. As again, 
we had a lot of success today in Montgomery, Alabama. McGill Tulin Boys defeated Park Cross in 58 to 55. They will play Blunt, which defeated Pike Road in overtime, 52 to 47. You're listening to the final drive. Corey Labounty and Michael Brauner right here on WNSP 105.5. Hey, everybody, this is Gabe Gross, and you're listening to WNSP 105.5. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP. I'm Corey Labounty, along with Michael Brauner. You can give Mike a call at 251-694-1055, or you can go ahead and hit us up in the app. We always love to read those comments and hear from you. And I think one of the, the big stories, Mike, that's been brewing here for the last couple of days is we know we had the inclement weather that was rolling into Mobile, Alabama yesterday. But as again, basketball season winds down, we know that we have softball and baseball high school wise that are getting ready to start. And because of the inclement weather, Mobile County Public School System canceled all after-school activities yesterday, which may have been a blessing in disguise because there sometimes is a shortage of umpires that is going on. And I, you, you hate to really call it a strike by the officials, but basically what has happened is – Officials are asking for an additional cost or additional money. And currently it's at $80 a game. They're looking for a $10 pay increase, $15 on travel. And because of it, a new association, BB103, was created, which it's okay to have two separate associations in order for there to be sports taking place. But We've seen a couple of years ago, I know the NBA refs went on strike. You've had Major League Baseball officials to go on strike. Uh, and here, high school officials looking for an increase in pay because, you know, we know the price of everything is going up. I know that, you know, Easter coming up, you, you want some Easter eggs. It'll probably be the plastic kind that you'll get from me because of the cost of trying to die an Easter egg. And the cost of gas has gone up. So officials have asked for that pay increase. But when you don't have enough umpires to call the number of games that are going on in Mobile and Baldwin County, it creates a dilemma because there's a couple of things that you have to have to play. One of them is the equipment to play. And the second thing is officials. And I know in tennis, you can self govern your calls, but in high school baseball, you have to have umpires and you don't want to rely on your coaches or your parents to that don't really have the level of training that certified officials have and certified officials go through in order to play the game of baseball. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's probably the, the hardest job in sports, uh, certainly officiating-wise, is, is being an umpire. And I know uh, how much flack umpires can get from coaches and parents, et cetera. So 
you know, pay them what they want. I, I get, I mean, it's, it's a hard job. I used to do it when I was, you know, 14 or 15 for little league and I, I couldn't even handle it for eight or nine year olds that, you know, it, it gets tough out there. If you, if you blow a call and you know, you blew a call, you can, it's not like you can go and change it. Uh, you just got to sit with it and live with it and, and take the abuse. You know, you're going to get it, It's not easy stepping in those shoes, uh, behind, especially behind the plate as an umpire. When you have a, you're affecting every single play of the game when it pitch to pitch, uh, you know, ideally, you're gonna get most of them right, but it, it's you're a human. It's it's impossible to get every single call right. So probably in um, baseball more so than any other sport, uh, that's you got to deal with some criticism there. So I, you know, if if it takes a little bit more money, if it's only ten dollars more a game, I, I don't know who's making that decision, but I'd say pay them. Well, it's a situation to where you know you have two different organizations, and again, I'm a uh, AHSAA basketball official and we just separated this past year into having two associations now we still make the same amount of money regardless of what association we're in but the request that have been asked by the order association I you know whether you feel that they're reasonable or not at the end of the day I know that the governing body which is the AHSAA has certain rules and regulations that they have to go ahead and abide by and they can't change that so I, I think it's going to be interesting to see here within the next couple of days the only positive side about this Mike is that it's early in the season and games have just begun to where if you're going to have to start rescheduling or postponing games it's easier to do it on the front side than have to do it on the back side or in the middle of the season so we'll continue to see how this breaking news that has started earlier in the week continues to go on you're listening to the final drive on wnsp 105.5 Corey labounty and michael Bronner here with you on this fantastic friday and don't forget about the wnsp days of reverie that are going on and you can go ahead and Get that Moe's or Toomey swag bag. Excuse the Toomey swag bag from WNSP Days of Reverie will be available. Just listen to that Mardi Gras music and you'll be our third caller and you'll be the winner of that Toomey swag bag. We'll be right back here on the final drive. It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome back to hour number two of the final drive with Corey Labounty, Michael Bronner taking your phone calls and making sure magic happens behind the glass 251-694-1055 is how you can get in touch with us here on the final drive and we know that there's been a lot of activity in college 
basketball as we're making that final finish and that final march to March Madness and our conference tournaments. And, of course, also football is always on the mind frame of everyone as yesterday it was announced the arrangement of coaches for SEC Media Days. Nick Saban will take the podium here in a few months, Wednesday, July 19th for SEC Media Days. And he will be joined by Sam Pittman and Billy Napier and Mark Stoops. And, you know, talking about Alabama football and basketball and baseball that's getting ready to start, Mick Gillespie from Bama Insider Tailgater Show is someone that we wanted to get on the final drive to talk a little bit about the Crimson Tide and the coaching changes that have been made by Coach Nick Saban offensively and defensively. Mick, good afternoon and welcome to the final drive. Hey, Corey. Thanks for having me on. And, uh, yeah, lots to talk about. This is a great time of year for sports. No question about it. And if you're the Alabama Crimson Tide football team, you're gearing up and getting ready in your fifth quarter conditioning program, getting ready for spring football because it will be here before you know it. But when you start looking at the new hires by Nick Saban, Austin Armstrong, Kevin Steele, and Tommy Rees, let's see how excited, what kind of excitement they can bring to the capstone. Yeah, look, I, I felt like they really needed to make a move at defensive coordinator. I think Pete Golding is a good coach, but it, it, the, the Alabama defense was definitely on a downward slope since Jeremy Pruitt took the head coach job at Tennessee. Alabama still won the championship in 2020, but they didn't have a dominant defense. And I just felt like the defense needed someone who was there and understood the Alabama way, the Alabama standard because I felt like that was starting to slip. When you hear players say that they're worried about, uh, they're, they're, they're nervous going into a game against Tennessee, they hear the crowd and all that stuff, that's just not the way that, that Alabama's been coached. They go in, you go in there with discipline, aggressiveness, and you take care of business. And I feel like uh, Kevin Steele was, if you're not going to have Jeremy Pruitt, a great option. Maybe you have both of them. Uh, as Jeremy Pruitt works through his issues at Tennessee, and uh, the NCAA, but I'm excited about that. I thought Tommy Reese was, uh, honestly, I didn't think Tommy Reese was going to be the guy, but when they made the hire, it made sense to me because Alabama's got to get back to being able to run the football consistently. It needs to be more a part of their game. Uh, you, I feel like the, the, the players that they've recruited for the offensive line are players that are a little bit bigger, that will try to run downhill, and uh, and I think that's a good thing. Uh, I, I really do. So we saw Georgia win back-to-back championships with a playbook that was basically uh, stolen from Alabama. And so for the Crimson Tide, I think it's time for them to uh, to kind of get back to, to what, they, uh, what they do, and that's run the football. He'll do that. Mick, uh, you brought up Jeremy Pruitt. We've spent – 
hours speculating on where where he uh, played a role in this decision. Uh, Tony Sakalas reported that you know he maybe had a say in in the hiring of Kevin Steele, and it's a bridge to Jeremy Pruitt, and it was just NCAA reasoning why it wasn't Jeremy Pruitt. Where, where do you stand on the whole thing? Just getting deeper into the Jeremy Pruitt thing. Well, look, I mean, that's the same thing that I heard as well from our guy Clint Lamb, you know, who, who's the, the on three, um, you know, team writer, uh, you know, where I work, you know. So that's fine with me. I mean, if that's, if that's the case, then I think that that's, that's good. I mean, like, because you're getting somebody in, in Kevin Steele who brings a lot of experience and, and success to the table and, and kind of that Alabama standard. And, uh, and you're getting Jeremy Pruitt, who I really wanted to get the job. I, I was hoping that it would have been his job. But, you know, obviously for the reasons that we talked about before, um, it's not him. But from what Clint said to me and, uh, and talked about on our Bama Insider shows, he felt like from what he was hearing, that's exactly the case, that Jeremy Pruitt trusts Kevin Steele he can work with Kevin Steele. Maybe he's not on the sideline as the defensive coordinator, but the way that they'll do a lot of the stuff leading into the game will have uh, Jeremy Pruitt and his fingerprints all over it. And so if that's the case, I think it's a brilliant strategy by Nick Saban. You know there's going to be a lot of talk here in the offseason about what direction the Alabama Crimson Tide decide to go to in regards to their starting quarterback position and having a new offensive coordinator along with a new defensive coordinator. I think that sometimes we all know the GOAT, he has what he his master blueprint anyway, but I think that it's great when you have a clean slate in regards to having coaches that are new coming in and they can evaluate players that really fit the way that Nick Saban ultimately wants these assistant coaches to run the offense and defense as well. Yeah, look, and I, I think that this 8A game is going to be really interesting to see exactly what the quarterback spot looks like. You know, is it Jalen Milrow? Is he going to be the guy that fits the Tommy Reese system? You know, we've seen Tommy Reese. I thought he did an excellent job working with Brian Kelly. Notre Dame had – players that I didn't think were as dynamic as what we have at Alabama, and they got a lot out of them. Ian Book, who is a, you know, I mean, a, a smart quarterback, but, you know, I, I wouldn't say he was great, but he won a lot of football games. Um, so, who's the guy that's going to fit that? My, my money's on Ty Simpson uh, because of his ability to throw the ball down the field. The only way you're going to beat teams like Georgia, Clemson, and the teams that play good defense is you're going to have to throw over top of them. And we saw last year that as Hunter, Jalen Milrow was, he lacked confidence at times, and his uh, throwing game was inconsistent. So that could change a lot, too. I mean, look, I, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I, you know, I thought <laughs> Jalen Hurts might – should have been a running back, you know, there for a while when he was struggling throwing the football because I didn't want him not to be on the field, you know, and he's proved that you can work hard and, and, and figure that part of the game out. And so when I look at Milrow, I'm not going to discount him at all just because I've seen the transformation of Jalen Hurts. But Jalen Hurts was better even when he struggled throwing the football than Jalen Milrow. Uh, Hurts is just a better quarterback. He just had two behind him. 
Uh, but he had a weakness in that spot. Milrow's weakness is, I think, uh, it, it's a lot more apparent, and he's going to have to get a lot better throwing the football to win the job. So this A-Day game, I think, is going to really set the stage for who that next quarterback's going to be. I don't see either freshman really being in this mix, but I put my money on Ty Simpson just because of the fact that he's a football savant. He grew up around the game with his dad, who is a great football coach. And uh, from what I've heard, his ability to throw the football in practice, really turning heads, uh, uh, and I think that the position's wide open. But a lot of this is going to depend on what Tommy Reese wants. I, I agree with you right there. Also, you mentioned that Alabama wants to run the football, and that's something that I think a lot of Crimson Tide fans have wanted to see for a few years now. But at the same time, if Alabama decides to run the football, I don't think Bryce Young wins a Heisman Trophy and is able to display the talents that he has uh, when he was winning the Heisman Trophy. Who will stand out at running back? Because we know Jameer Gibbs is exiting to the NFL, and we know what he was able to accomplish. So what happens now from an Alabama running back room standpoint? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a good question. You know, Alabama's always done such a, a great job of finding the next you know, the next running back. But, you know, you know, you're right. I mean, part of the reason that Alabama maybe wasn't dynamic, which was, you know, one of the things that I held against them a lot was the fact that Bryce Young liked to throw the football and didn't really want to be in an offense that, that did a whole lot of trick plays and, and all of that. So, you know, last year when you, you got someone that could have maybe been a difference maker like Gibbs, you know, we didn't see him a lot, but Roy Dell Williams is a guy that can run the football. We saw him, you know, last year at times. Um, he's a guy that I, I'd kind of like to see get it a little bit more, you know, um, and, and, and get some more touches. But there's like five guys that they could, they could constantly bring in and, uh, and rotate into that spot. Um, he's definitely one of those guys, uh, maybe Jerry Miller uh, a little bit uh, could be somebody. I, I'm curious to see, though, what that offense is going to look like. And honestly, I mean, going back to Milrow, look, if it turns into one of those scenarios where you're like, well, here's Chase McClellan getting a lot of carries, which I would probably say he'll be the starter. You know, maybe my theory of um, – you know, of, of, of having um, uh, Milrow not be the guy who could get thrown out of there because you know you're going to see a lot of uh, RPOs, right? And he'd maybe be better than that at, than Ty Simpson, but I, I don't know. I mean, I, I just think that Alabama's offense is going to be more dynamic, and you'll probably see a lot of Roydell Williams and Chase McClellan and, and maybe some other guys that I haven't even mentioned. But there will be like – Look, there's always four or five guys that Alabama has that can run the football. No doubt. You, uh, I mean, Jamarian Miller didn't even really take the field last year. He, he, Alabama has really just become a running back factory. So do you, do you see Tommy Reese changing the style that they play offense? Because I think under in the last five, six, seven years, they've become much more of a throw-the-ball-first throw kind of team. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's the whole point of bringing him in is that we thought that football was changing to the point where 
you really had to throw the football first and run the football second, right? And and, and a lot of the reason is that the, the college football has changed the rules where it's tougher to play defense. You know, I, I'll get into uh, these conversations with my buddy Mike Johnson, who was a two-time All-American out of Pensacola at Alabama, played in the NFL. And people say, well, you know, what would happen if your 9 team that was undefeated played the, you know, the 2020 team? And he'd say, well, it depends on what rules you go by. They go by the rules that we played under, we could have beat them. They, we play the rules that they're under now, you know, who knows, right? And it's just because the, the way that they, they, they officiate the games is so much different now, you know? So the, we thought, well, it would be a good idea to be able to throw the ball. And then all of a sudden you see Georgia win back-to-back championships playing Alabama football style. So you don't have to recreate the wheel. And um, running the football effectively has been, since they started the game, probably the most important part of it. And, uh, and I just think that we're going to get back to doing that. I, at least I hope so. Because it, it, how frustrating is it when you're, you, you watch Alabama play LSU, you're at the one-yard line, and you're throwing the football instead of running it in. And you lose the game because of that. You know, so – for them to win those games on the road, and it's a tough schedule, it's only going to get tougher, they're going to have to get one or two yards behind the line of scrimmage running the football again, which is something that they were inconsistent with the last two years, and uh, Georgia wasn't. And so, you know, that's c- kind of why I feel like Alabama's going in that direction. Mick Gillespie, Bama Insider, Tailgate Show, joining us this afternoon on the final drive. And I mentioned moments ago the lineup for the SEC Media Days that has come out. If I had to go ahead and and put the Vegas odds out there, It's that Mardi Gras music that you've been waiting for here on WNSP Days of Reverie. Michael played that Mardi Gras music. That means he's taking the third caller to be the winner of the Toomey swag bag. Right here on WNSP's Days of Reverie. If you win this swag bag from Toomey's, you will be our final winner on this fantastic Friday right here on WNSP's Final Drive. And as we're getting ready to jump into our next segment, we're going to talk about the remaining games that are going to be played here in the SEC. Again, this Saturday, you've got Tennessee at Kentucky at Rupp Arena. And when you start looking at the Tennessee Volunteers are in third place, coming off that huge win over the Alabama Crimson Tide. Kentucky is currently seated in fifth place in the SEC. And you've got a, a battle of bottom dwellers, South Carolina and LSU playing one another. Those two teams at the bottom of the SEC. Florida and Arkansas playing each other on Saturday at 1 o'clock on ESPN2. That ought to be a great game. As well as Mississippi State and Ole Miss. The two Mississippi rivalries getting after one another at 2 
2.30 on the SEC Network. Of course, we know the Alabama Crimson Tide will be playing against the Georgia Bulldogs. Texas A&M takes on Missouri, and we've seen Missouri at 7-6 in the SEC. They're currently sitting at 6th place taking on Texas A&M, who's in second place. And Missouri has shown they're capable of beating anybody in the SEC. They have identical records at 19-7. and seven. And, of course, Auburn playing against Vanderbilt. And Coach Pearl talked about that must-win earlier this week. Well, again, Vanderbilt's one of those games that I know the Auburn Tigers would love to have. Mike, did we have a winner of our Toomey swag bag here for WNSP's Days of Revelry. We did. Congratulations to Dallas. Appreciate you guys for participating all week. It's been a good one. Well, I tell you, coming up next in our next segment, again, we talked about the recent umpire strike that has been looming here in Mobile and Baldwin County high schools. We'll talk to Josh Walter, who is the former BB 101 Association Veteran Empire. It'll be interesting to get his take on everything that's going on and to keep us updated exactly what's going on with high school baseball and will there be enough umpires and officials to cover these games? We'll find out as we talk to him coming up next here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5 with Corey Labounty and Michael Brauner behind the glass. Hi, I'm Bobby Humphrey, and when I'm in Mobile, I'm listening to WNSP FM 105.5. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. I'm Corey Labounty, joined by Michael Brauner, taking your phone calls, and he's behind the glass, making sure that everything runs smoothly here on the final drive. And there's been a lot of talk here the last couple of weeks as high school baseball season has approached us and is now upon us starting last night for those teams who were able to play games before the inclement weather rolled in. There are baseball series that are rolling in everywhere across Mobile and Baldwin County. And there's a situation going on with the umpires, and I definitely wanted to get a hold of and reach out to a good friend, Josh Walter, who is the former BB 101 veteran umpire. Josh, good afternoon, and thanks for joining me on the final drive. What's up, Corey? How are you? Absolutely too blessed to be stressed, sir. And I know that, you know, there's been a lot of action going on here in high school baseball amongst the umpires. So, I want to hear from you about what's going on with the new association, BB103, that was created and the association that you were a part of, formerly called BB101. Well, there's a, there, I don't know if you got a segment long enough to, to go through all of it, but if we could just back up to August, let's start where, let's start in August. Um, 
You know what? Let's back up before we even start there. As a matter of fact, one thing that I want to I want to squash, and and this is not something that that we've ever said, and I don't know if it's just the terminology that's easier to use, and, and I've heard you say it, and everybody else saying it, and I know the state has has passed down uh, memos and and statements saying an umpire strike. Uh, never at any point. Has BB101 South Alabama baseball umpires never at any point have have we been on strike or, or they been on strike? Um, we in August started. We restarted in August with conversations with proposals to the AHSAA about getting a raise um, and then also getting our travel payback in an effort to recruit new officials and keep our current officials. Um, anybody that, that reads the newspaper or, or gets online that, that follows anything to do with sports will tell you that it's, it's getting tougher and tougher each year to recruit officials and keep people officiating, you know, with social media, with parents that, you know, just craziness after games and harassment and stuff like that going on with officials. It, it's it's a tough job, and it's always been that way. It's just it seems to be getting worse. So what we're trying to do is keep quality people in a position to officiate high school baseball games, high school varsity level, JV, freshman, you know, middle school. We use the same guys in our high school group to umpire all the way down to T-ball in these ballparks. We don't put anybody of, of questionable character on the field with our kids of any age, and that's something we've always prided ourselves on. Um, so that request was never even addressed by the state until recently, a few weeks back. And they said they were going to sit down and have a meeting and address it, and they would give us a response or, or give BB1. I keep saying us, um, just with all the media stuff going on and, and a few, you know, I'll call them threats. I guess there's no other word for them, but there, there's been some threats of reprimand for me for speaking out, you know, on these facts in the matter. And um, so I had to temporarily resign, you know, to remove myself where our baseball group couldn't be punished for any, anything that I say on air or on social media because I will continue to speak the truth. Um, but what they did in their meeting, once they finally met and, and we got the response we were waiting on from them, their response was, okay, we've read it. We're not going to do anything, but we'll talk about it in April. Well, you and I know that the only thing left after April in baseball season is the playoffs. So that was not okay with us, and we'd already sent our contracts out. All right, so... All of our contracts were sent out to the schools. Each individual athletic director, we had two, maybe three people that, that even, you know, even questioned it at all. Everyone was, was almost 100% of our contracts were, were perfectly fine. I think there were two or three, like I said, that even had any questions about it. And eventually, all but one of our contracts, um, you know, came along with us and said, you know, we're fine. We'll pay that. Not a big deal. Well, it was passed down somehow from the state to the Mobile County and Baldwin County school boards that, that they were not to use our association. Um, so Mobile County rejected our contracts. The, the athletic director for the Mobile County Public School System uh, rejected our contracts. And we then, once Mobile did that, we then offered – contracts revised back to the $80 a game, our regular contracts from last year without, you know, the raise or any of the travel pay. We offered that to Baldwin County, you know, uh, 
almost two weeks ago, I believe, and they rejected it also. Um, another thing I want to point out is in our contracts, this raise was, was for varsity baseball games. And then the travel was the travel was across the board. The rate the pay raise was for varsity baseball games. These J V middle school games would have been the same, you know, as they've been. Um what bothers me a lot is like I said, the the strike talk. There was never a strike. Uh you you have people and, and I know the the uh the state office has put out um plenty of stuff saying that you know, umpire strike this, umpire strike that, and and it's got people geared up against us as umpires or or BB one hundred one particular. As far as umpires go, we're making it out like we're taking a season away from these kids when we've done everything that we possibly could to still officiate, regardless of the dollar amount. And that's the stuff that's not being told on the news. That's the stuff that that's going on that nobody's talking about. Because we don't have a hold on AL.com, you know, or these media outlets that release these statements the same way that the Alabama High School Athletic Association does. So those, those are a few things. Speaking with Josh Walter, former umpire with BB101, which was the South Alabama Baseball Umpires, and a new association has been created, BB103. I think the, a couple of questions uh, have been asked. From a holdout standpoint, uh, it was to get money increased, and that increase was wanted on travel and basically just a regular pay increase, and that was for varsity games only? The, the pay increase. Okay. Now, to speak on the travel – and this is another good point to touch on. If you look at the memo that, that Alvin Briggs sent out uh, from the AHSAA office, every time that they've put a statement out on AL.com or anywhere else, what it's done is it's been very redundant, and it's, it's stated everything that you know they've done as far as raises, and they just keep repeating the same things over and over. When I started doing this, we made, I want to say, a varsity baseball game, we made $52.00 behind the plate and $47 on the basis. That was 21 years ago. Um, we got two raises since then. A lot of stuff's changed since then. We've gone to a third-party pay system. We've gone from being paid at the game to being paid, you know, via online, you know, third-party pay system. Um, the most recent change was in the 2019-2020 season. And at that point, we had gotten the raise. We were making $65 a game for varsity high school games. And we just try to stick with the varsity number because it's just easier. Um, $65 a game for a varsity game. And they introduced Dragonfly, which is a third-party scheduling and pay gap for officials. The state of Alabama required us to use that. And at the time, we were making 65 a game for a varsity baseball game and $12 travel anywhere in Mobile and Baldwin County. Now, we have some contracts that go all the way up T.R. Miller, Flomerton, you know, we had a few guys that may have paid 20 or $25 travel for the further away games. But for the most part, it was 65 a game and $12 travel in Metro, Mobile, and Baldwin counties. What they did was gave us, they, they told us they were giving us a raise when we moved to Dragonfly in 2019-2020 in that season. They said, we're giving you a raise, we're going to $80 a game, which was correct. What they didn't tell us was that they were also taking away the travel pay. 
So we went from 77 total. So we had 65 and 12, and then they gave us a raise to 80. So what we actually got was a $3 raise. Um, you don't see that on the statements, you know, that, that are being released by the state. You don't see that in the literature that, that everybody's using to get upset at us over or, or at the umpires in general over. Uh, these are the kind of things that, that they're trying to use, I guess, to, to put it on the umpires. And what a lot of people don't understand is, is, and I said this the other day talking with uh, Simone Eli at WKRG, if you're doing this for the money, we figure that out really quick because those people don't last very long. We, we don't make, if it was $200 a game, Corey, it's not enough money for some of the stuff that goes on at these games. I agree with that. To be, away, to be away from your family, the wear and tear on your vehicle, the, the replenishing of your uniforms and, and the upkeep, and you'll go through three pairs of turf shoes in one baseball season if you're a full-time umpire. I mean, it, it's, you don't make enough money to do this. The people that are doing this, they love the game of baseball. They love kids. I mean, we're, we're talking about guys, I mean, even myself, and I'm not even the older, you know, the older sector of the group or the more veteran sector of the group. We've got, you know, my dad and our president, and we've got guys that have been doing this 35, 40. J.P. Cooper did this for 54 years. We've got guys that umpired grandkids of kids that were, they were umpiring when they started. You know, I'm umpiring kids of, of kids that I umpired when I started now. That's what's fun about this. That's why we do this. If people think we're doing this for the money or being greedy, that's the kind of rumors that we're trying to squash. That's the kind of stuff that, that's just making this a lot nastier than what it was ever supposed to be. Um, the, the rumor that's going around that, that we waited until the last minute trying to you know use time against any kind of state office or, or anything or the school system or these coaches, there's documentation. I mean, it, it's we can provide anything or, or BB101 can provide anything that anybody wants to see as far as the dialogue that started two years ago and then it was reignited in August and sent back to the table to be discussed, and it was literally just ignored. And those are the kind of things that are just making this, like I said, a lot more nasty and toxic, toxic than, than what it was ever intended to, to come to. And that's why I wanted to make sure and get some facts out to you today. Oh, absolutely. And I appreciate Josh Walter for joining us this afternoon on the final drive. He's a former BB 101 veteran official. As he mentioned moments ago, he has resigned temporarily his position so he can sp speak freely and the organization BB 101 is not penalized. I guess one of the questions that have been, has been asked to me is how many members were there or are there still currently in BB101? And how many members that were in BB101 went over to the new association who has called games last night that started to be played? Because, again, some teams were not able to play due to the inclement weather, and some schools were able to get, in, get into games. But I know that games across Mobile and Baldwin counties have been postponed today due to shortage of officials. That that is correct, and that is a that is that's a, there's a lot to unpack in that one question. Um, I guess we'll start at the top. In BB 101, I would say, as I, I want to say, three years ago, four years ago, we were around 120 officials. Um, this year, I, I would 
I would say I don't want to be exact, but I'm going to say we're still somewhere between 90 and 100 officials. I think we had we had 70 plus, which we have guys that work shift work or you know on vacation out of town. Just this past Wednesday night, um, our meeting Wednesday night, we had 70 plus officials there. Um, now, as far as the people that defected from our group and and were part of starting that BB 103 group, we know for a fact there were there were probably I'd say four or five guys that were actual members of our group that went over there. And then from what we understand, the rest of it was going to be comprised of guys that, you know, call youth travel tournament ball. Uh, that's a, that's a whole nother, you know, section of baseball that, that this is a, you know, what we do is a completely different, much higher level of training you know, than a, than a travel tournament or a recreational ball umpire would ever, would ever go through. We meet for, you know, depending on. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. want to thank Josh Walter again from the former director, BB 101, chiming in about the high school baseball situation. And the great thing is he said at the end of that interview that contracts will be continuing to hopefully be going back out to BB 101 to where we can get these games playing to where there will only be no cancellations and just postponement of these games that are scheduled to be started from a high school baseball standpoint. And again, thank him for taking time to give his side and BB 101 side. And again, sometimes you you do have to remove yourself from that situation. I totally understand why Josh Walter was able to do that. But again, he said music to everyone's ears that hopefully those contracts will continue to go back out here so we can resume high school baseball on the daily basis when we have 35 or 40 games to be played in a day. You're listening to The Final Drive with Corey LeBounty and Michael Brauner. Hour number three coming your way here on WNSP. From Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it.
Welcome into our number three of the final drive on this fantastic Friday. And again, we're moving into uh, Mardi Gras weekend. And I know the revelers are getting ready for tonight's parades as make sure you bundle up as it's a little chilly outside. And in our first couple of hours, Mike, I know that the listeners, if they didn't get a chance to listen to Richie Riley or Theodore Girls basketball coach, Coach Washam or Mick Gillespie or even Josh Walter talking about the umpire situation that's going on in high school baseball in Mobile and Baldwin County. WNSP now has new ways to where you can go back and make sure you tune in and listen to the final drive and all the other fantastic shows that are part of this station. No doubt. Check out WNSP now wherever you get your podcasts. You can hear our full show every day. You can hear the whole the opening kickoff every day. You can hear John Ricchetti Golf Show. You can hear the outdoor show. You can hear the prep spotlight. Uh, you can hear uh, Nick Wiggins and Stephen Root on the double team. Uh, pretty soon you're going to be able to start hearing. If you just can't get enough of my voice, you're going to be able to start hearing uh, my NFL podcast, Throw It Deep, that I'm going to be continuing, a little project I was doing during senior year of college and we're going to be picking that up again. So lots of good things going on. Just search WNSP now wherever you get uh, your podcast to see the, our whole new uh, podcast center. Without question, that's a great resource to catch up on all the week's worth of shows and all the great guests that we've had here on the final drive. And this weekend is NBA All-Star Weekend. And tonight you have the Ruffles Celebrity Game the Jordan Rising Stars game, and tomorrow you have the HBCU Classic along with the State Farm All-Star Saturday night, which includes the Kia Skills Challenge, the three-point contest, and the AT&T Slam Dunk Contest, and that's followed on Sunday by the G League Next Up game and the 72nd NBA All-Star game, and as we were talking to Richie Riley in hour number one, Michael, I, I know that this is technically considered the halfway point of the NBA season. And when I start thinking about All-Star Weekend, of course, you, you, you have to think about none other than the greatest today who is celebrating his 60th birthday. And that's none other than the GOAT to myself, Michael Air Jordan. Yo, Mars Blackman here, my main man, Michael Jordan, and Professor Douglas Kilpatrick of the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics. Yo, Professor, how does Mike defy gravity? Do you know, do you know, do you know, do you know? Michael Jordan overcomes the acceleration of gravity by the application of his muscle power in the vertical plane, thus producing a low-altitude Earth orbit. A what? Do you know what I mean? Do you know? Do you know? Do you know? Money, check him out. Michael Jeffrey Jordan celebrating his 60th birthday today. And again, in my Mount Rushmore of basketball players, when you start talking about NBA celebrating its 75th anniversary a year ago, I, I, I definitely have Michael Jordan as my number one greatest player of all time and you know when you start looking 
it, of course, it is generational, and some people love and think that Bill Russell's the best. Some people think that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is the best. Some people think that Mike's the best. Others say LeBron or Kobe. Everything's generational, and everybody has their preferences. But you would love to hear from you. Who do you think is the greatest of all time as Michael Jordan celebrates his 60th birthday today and made news earlier this week donating $10 million to the Make-A-Wish Foundation? But those Spike Lee commercials, do you know, do you know, do you know, just take me back to my childhood when you had an opportunity to watch Michael Jordan participate in the slam dunk contest and you had a chance to watch people like Larry Bird win the three-point contest with the shooting jersey on and the all-star game that where they used to play defense in the all-star game and it used to mean something but again one of the reasons that Michael Jordan is the GOAT is his second greatest commercial to me behind Mars Blackman. You know this theme music. When you're in the car riding along or listening on the app, I bet you know the words to this song. Well, you know, if I could be like Mike, I, I guarantee that I would go ahead and, and Michael Bronner, I, I would love to say if I could be like Mike, it would be a situation to where you just have the world at your fingertip. And, you know, one of the people that Mike really loves in regards from a competitive standpoint is Tiger Woods. And Tiger Woods was busy on the golf course earlier this morning and late this afternoon he finished up today and how, how did how did Tiger Woods do well much better yesterday than today again um two under yesterday three over today so finishes at one over projected cut line has moved to one over so I think there's a solid chance that by the skin of his teeth he does make it uh if you know, barring something unforeseen, I I think again, good chance that he will be playing for the rest of the weekend if he's able to hold up. But yeah, he again much better yesterday than than today. Just kind of couldn't knock down putts. He he missed a few greens on the back nine today. I was watching a good bit of it. Uh, just not as sharp today as yesterday. But again, how, how can you expect him to be? He, he probably woke up at 3 in the morning because he had to tee off at 7, and he know he's having two hours of treatment on his legs before he's even able to get out there. So the fact that he's doing what he's doing and just playing remotely competitive golf is outstanding. I agree with you. And the 15-time major champion had just played nine rounds in three major championships one year ago just to see him out there especially coming off of all of the injuries that he had and has and just age catching up with Tiger Woods at 47 on top of the injuries that he sustained in that car wreck I, I just I would love to see him make the cut and you know he has that Michael Jordan mentality to where you know that if he's going to get out there, he feels he can win every time he's out there. And if he's able to stay alive in this tournament, then I think it'll be great for the ratings. And again, 
Good for the ratings, Mike. The NBA's most valuable player through midseason point. I think it's Jokic. I, I, I think that him having the ability to be a winner of three consecutive NBA most valuable player awards, that's very rare air in and of itself. Yeah, it probably is going to be Jokic. Uh, I think the fatigue is probably starting to set in a little bit in terms of I, I'd love to see Luka or Tatum or, or whoever uh, win or Embiid. Uh, a lot of guys you could you could throw in in consideration, but it seems like it's probably going to be Jokic again. Did uh, has anyone won three straight before? I mean, yeah, yeah I, I want to say there's been two. One was, of course, Larry Legend. And I think that Wilt Chamberlain were the other two winners of that have won three consecutive, and of course, yeah, and Bill Russell, and, right. and Bill Russell. So you had Bill Russell, Larry Bird, and Wilt Chamberlain being those three that are would be three-time consecutive winners of the NBA's most valuable player. And again, all NBA All-Star Weekend is something that's going on along with Daytona 500. So it is a very busy sports weekend. But going back to something that I do love to watch just to see what's going to happen are the judges of the NBA dunk contest. Jamal Crawford. Three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, Lisa Leslie being an eight-time NBA WNBA All-Star, Carl Malone. I'm not too sold on Carl Malone being a dunk contest voter, uh, even though he was the mailman and he delivered. I know the NBA All-Star game is in Utah, but I'm not I'm not sold on Carl Malone being one. Harold Miner, absolutely a two-time. Slam dunk champion himself. They called him Baby Jordan. He used to have his tongue wagging, too. And Dominique Wilkins, a nine-time NBA All-Star and two-time slam dunk champion also. I'm with Harold Miner. I'm with Dominique Wilkins. And I'm with Lisa Leslie. Jamal Crawford, not so much. And Carl Malone, not too happy as far as being voters to decide the AT&T Slam Dunk Championship. So, We'll have to see who how that winds up going this weekend. I just hate when you have the dunk contest and you and you start missing dunks because it takes away from what you saw Vince Carter do and what you saw Michael Jordan do and Dominique Wilkins do when they get that first one down, they're on it. And when you don't have Clay Thompson or a Seth Curry or a Steph Curry in the three point contest, can Damian Lillard win it? I'm not. I don't know, Bronner. Do, do you have? Do you think that he has an opportunity? Damian Lillard is he considered an elite NBA three-point shooter? Yeah, I mean, I think you'd be crazy to argue otherwise. Dame range is a thing. All right. So, so do you think he's going to beat Julius Randle or Jason Tatum? I like Jason Tatum to win it myself. Julius Randle is in the three-point contest? Julius Randle will replace injured Port and Trailblazers guard Anthony Simmons. So, so, you know. Why? I, I guess they're trying to show love to the big man, too, but, you know, Halliburton. As a Halliburton hero healed Huter, Dame, Markinen, Randle, and Tatum. What? 
well, one guy doesn't belong. Yeah, <laughs> I, I Not agree. Not to rag on Randall so much, but like that's so weird. Well, I, I figured he said, you know, from shooting from a rack, he he's able to knock him I'm down. Sure, so I'm so sure. I can knock him down shooting from a rack. Uh, we, we'll see what happens when the clock comes on, on on Saturday evening. We'll see if they're able to put on a show. But of course, again, the favorite moment for me, the favorite dunk of all time is for me, Michael Jordan taking off from the free throw line. And I, we said it earlier, Dominique Wilkins was robbed in one of those NBA dunk contests where they gave Jordan a 50 over Dominique Wilkins in his own hometown of Chicago, Illinois. But two of the most electric and exciting slam dunk championships, of course, was in 2016 with Levine and, and Aaron Gordon going after one another and of course Vince Carter in 2000 just making Kenny Smith say it's over shut it down and there's not a, a reason to even have competition as far as what Vince Carter was able to accomplish but nonetheless the NBA All-Star game is going to be held on this Sunday along with the Daytona 500 and we'll see exactly what happens in the NBA All-Star game as well as the Daytona 500 who will come away with the win. And coming up next here on the final drive, we'll catch back up with Philip Murphy as the McGill Tulin Yellow Jackets. They were victorious today, both boys and girls defeating Park Crossing. We'll hear from Philip Murphy as the Yellow Jackets are traveling back to Mobile, Alabama to find out how they were able to come away with a big-time win to survive in advance against the Blunt Leopards. Again, an all-mobile final. You love to see it. You hate that they have to travel all the way to Montgomery, Alabama to do it, but we'll talk with Philip Murphy next on The Final Drive. I'm Laura Rutledge with ESPN. You're listening to WNSP 105.5. Keep it right here for the best sports information in Mobile. Welcome back to the final drive on this fantastic Friday. I'm Corey Labounty. Michael Brauner taking your calls 251-694-1055. And we were talking about the NBA All-Star Game and Daytona 500 being this same Sunday. But that's plenty of sports action for you. And there's been plenty of sports action going on in Montgomery as the McGill Tulin boys they defeated Park Crossing 58 to 55 today in an outstanding play contest. And when you start looking at McGill Tulin improving to 28 and 6 and winning their 18th consecutive contest, it's always great to talk to my good friend Philip Murphy. Coach, congratulations on the win. Survive in advance. Yes, sir. That's that's the name of the business right now. Just survive in advance, and um, you know, it's glad we were able to get it done today. Coach, you were able to get it done because Devin McCain scored a game high twenty five points, and this is a young man that has just been very consistent. As Ron Wallace and I had high school media days at the beginning of the season. This is a young man that you brought with it that you knew that you were going to have to rely on, and he stayed healthy, and he's continued to produce for you this entire season. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he uh, he changed the he changed the game for us in the second half. We, uh, you know, in the first half, uh, they uh, brought out full uh, full court zone pressure, and we were a little too safe against it. Um, just weren't attacking it like we need to. And in the second half, Devin kind of opened that up for us. We were able to throw over the top of the zone and have Devin on the back of the press break getting finishes. Well, it's anytime you can finish a game that's big time and it's a game of momentum. I know that you guys were not able to take advantage of a layup and park crossing came down and came up with the empty possession. Also, you guys trailed at 30 to 26 at halftime. And it's a situation to where, you know, in basketball, basketball is a game of runs anyway, but you you know that your team has been battle tested the entire season. Yeah, I mean, there's no question. I mean, you know, uh, at this point in the season, you know, we just tell the guys you got to find a way. Um, He's got to find a way to to get it done and move to the next round. And so, um, our guys were able to do that. You know, thankfully they they've had this experience. And I was just talking to my assistant coaches here on the bus. Uh, it's quite remarkable. We've been to the Elite Eight seven out of the last nine seasons. So uh, it, it's something our kids, you know, they grow up watching. Uh, and, and when they have the opportunity to come and be a part of it, uh, you know, I believe that helps in the long run. Without question, it helps in the long run, finding a way to get it done. Coach, for those that don't remember, uh, because they say, all right, well, this is a new basketball year. Barry Dunning, Jr., played Mr. Basketball in the entire state of Alabama, played a tremendous role and vital role in what you guys were able to accomplish a year ago. And you guys got to the Final Four and played an outstanding game and just came up a little bit short of playing for a state championship. But talk about what your team has been able to learn from Barry Dunning Jr. a year ago in his time at McGill battling him every day and the success that your team has had this year without him. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think, you know, obviously there's lots of lessons that, that, that they've learned, but you know, from Barry and, and all those seniors last year, they, they just, they learned about leadership and what it looks like to win and, and what it takes to advance. And, you know, this year's team at the beginning of the year, we started off one and two. And I remember having a team meeting with them and, and, you know, telling them to say, guys, this, this is, you're not part of last year's team. Uh, you're not part of that 30 and five team that went to the final four. Your formula is not going to be the same. Your, your team is going to be different. It's going to look different. It's going to behave differently. And, and so those guys took that challenge and they formed their own identity. And, and quite frankly, what they've done up to this point, I mean, we're 28 and six ranked third in the state playing in the elite eight. It's, it's, it's remarkable what this group's done. Um, it really, really is. If you would have told me we'd be sitting at this point, beginning of the season, I would have said you were crazy. But hats off to our guys uh, uh, for taking the challenge, forming their own identity, and finding a way. How much fun is it, Coach? We used to call it at LaFleur High School when I was coaching the boys and the girls sitting on both of those benches as an assistant coach. You call it deuce-deuce. 
at LaFleur when both of your teams, boys and girls, have an opportunity to continue to play and encourage one another as the McGill Tulin girls defeated Park Crossing also 49 to 29 and they will play Theodore for an opportunity to punch their ticket to the final four but being able to support one another and both of you guys playing on the same day and possibly making it to that next round of the final four together oh man it's a lot of fun Corey and, and you know Carl and I have been coaching and working together for, for a long time at this point. So uh, we're, we're very close, very close friends, and, and just having the opportunity to, to support them and watch them and, and see them have success along with us, uh, it, it's a blast. Not only that, Coach, let's talk about moving forward to your next opponent. And that next opponent is a Mobile, Alabama opponent, or better yet, a Pritchard, Alabama opponent, that being the Blunt Leopards, who won a fabulous overtime game against Pike Road. Have you guys matched up this year? We have not matched up this year. We played uh, three times last year. This year we haven't played. Um, so... You know, very similar to, to, to our, our situation last year. We didn't match up with Spanish sport the entire season until the Elite Eight. Um, so we kind of got the same thing going this year. But, uh, you know, talking about finding a way, uh, Blunt found a way this afternoon. Uh, very impressive. Uh, you could tell they want it. Uh, wanted it. Uh, they're well coached. They play really hard. So uh, we're looking forward to that opportunity next Wednesday. Next Wednesday, you guys will be playing the Blunt Leopards, and I always find it interesting, a couple of things. I know you can't control where you play and where you have to travel to, but you have McGill taking on Blunt in Montgomery, Alabama, and then you turn around and you have McGill girls taking on Theodore's girls all the way in Montgomery, Alabama. And then when you start talking about from a, another classification standpoint you have Foley girls again still alive and advancing and they're taking on Daphne so it's a lot of local teams that are having to burn highway 65 up to make it to Montgomery Alabama to play one another and they're also having to burn some uh, major coin as well for you. I mean, there's a lot of money from Mobile going to uh, to Montgomery for these games. But listen, we'll we'll take it for all of these Mobile and Baldwin County teams. Uh, we want to come up here and rep- represent in the boys' side, girls' side, whatever classification. Uh, we want to see see our team succeed. Well, you've definitely succeeded, and we look forward to seeing a Pritchard versus Mobile final. And again, when you start looking at Overall, we're guaranteed, that's the biggest thing, Coach, we're guaranteed to have a representative in 6A girls and boys from this Mobile, Baldwin County area along with 7A girls basketball also. And, you know, we always take a bad rap down here about not being able to finish or coming up short, but you have to get there first. And once you get there, anything can happen. That, that's exactly right, and that's, that's the way we look at it as well, Corey. Coach Philip Murphy, have safe travels back to Mobile, Alabama, and look forward to watching your matchup next Ash Wednesday against the Blunt Leopards in what we call the Cow Palace at Garrett Coliseum there <laughs> in Montgomery, Alabama. Coach, congratulations again and safe travels, and look forward to keeping us updated next week. 
Hey, yeah, and then for anybody watching Wednesday, you know, we, we'll have ashes on our forehead. It doesn't mean that we got dirt on our heads. No question. But a, a year ago, same thing happened in Birmingham. So that's right. That, that, that means you're still playing basketball and still able to celebrate as well, Coach. Y'all have safe travels, and thank you for joining us on the final drive this afternoon. All right. Thanks for having us on. Philip Murphy, the head boys basketball coach, victorious today. They win a close one over Park Crossing 58 to 55. And Bennett Russ was able to contribute along with Alex Heim, who had four rebounds, two assists, and two steals. We know Alex Heim's last name because of his dad. We'll see if he got it from his dad. We'll ask Markheim about that later on. But you're listening to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Hi, this is Blake Stein, former Spring Hill Badger and Kansas City Royal, and you're listening to WNSP Sports Radio. Welcome back to the final drive on this fantastic Friday. Corey LeBounty, along with Michael Brauner, taking your telephone calls at 251-694-1055. That's 251-694-1055 is how you can reach us. And we have a caller on the line now. Good afternoon. Caller, how are you doing? Hey, Corey. How y'all doing? Always doing a great job. Listen, um, the girls' basketball in Mobile doesn't always get the props it should especially some of the coaches. But I just want to reach out and be sure that Coach Charlie Ship over at Davidson, his Warrior girls had a great, great season right there. Came up just a little short, but let me tell you what, fantastic, fantastic year for them, so hats off. But like I say, they the, uh, the women's sports here in Mobile, there are some fantastic athletes, fantastic coaching staff right there. So just props off to them right there because they do a great job. And lots of times they get overshadowed by the – by the boys and men's athletics right there. But great job, great season for the Lady Warriors. And then Charlie Ship, they don't make them any better than him. Thank you so much for that call. And Charlie Ship, an outstanding and very successful. You won't find a more successful girls basketball coach here in the Mobile-Baldwin County area over the last 20 years. His win-loss record is superb. And it just wasn't the Davidson Lady Warriors day yesterday. But you're absolutely right. They did have a phenomenal season. And Charlie Ship is the reason for that. And he has a great assistance in Daryl Brooks, who helps him out over there from a girl's standpoint and has for many years. And we did have Matt Bosarge on yesterday for the first time in 15 years. They make the opportunity to make it to the regionals and we had him on talking about that so thank you so much caller for showing the davidson warriors and lady athletics in general a lot of love we'll continue to do that here on the final drive because not only do we have outstanding male athletes we have tremendous and phenomenal female athletes and athletics as well in the mobile baldwin county area mike i know that one of the things that we were talking about as we were going on the air, and even yesterday in the last couple of days since the Kansas City Chiefs have been victorious in the Super Bowl, is why can't Eric Bieniemy 
become a head coach in the National Football League. And when the two vacancies were filled by the Colts and the Cardinals, by offensive and defensive coordinators from the Eagles, I I knew that the enemy would not get that opportunity to become a head coach this year. But because Andy Reid still calls a lot of the Chiefs plays along with Eric Bieniemy, I think they tag team. But until he's able to hold it down himself and to kind of put his own fingerprints on it, the Washington Commanders, it looks like that's where Eric Bieniemy is going to wind up landing and – I think if you're Eric Bieniemy, you do have to make that transition. People ask, well, why would you leave the greatest quarterback in the NFL, Patrick Mahomes, to go after winning a Super Bowl or after having two Super Bowls? Well, you've accomplished everything you needed to accomplish from the title that you've been given. Why not try a different organization and boost their offensive statistics? No doubt. And it seems like at this point, uh, in terms of head coaching consideration, the cycles have come and gone now for really the past three seasons, and Bianami hasn't gotten his chance to be a head coach. Ultimately, it seems like that's what he wants to do. Uh, so if you're an NFL owner or GM or whatever hiring a head coach, there's no doubt there's going to be some hesitancy there, hesitancy there to hire an offensive coordinator who's under the greatest offensive mind probably in the history of the game. Now, you can look at that as a positive and say, like, okay, he's had that tutelage under Andy Reid and probably has become a much better coach for it. But at the same time, you have to weigh the fact that he ha- he hasn't completely run an offense by by himself. That's just the truth of the matter. So for Eric Bieniemy to go to Washington and take over an offense that's struggled at quarterback and been a little bit of a mess now for and Ron Rivera is certainly more of a comes from a defensive background rather than offense. I think it's is a perfect challenge for him because if you're Eric Bieniemy and you go and turn around the the offense in Washington and have a productive offense there I mean how how could you make any there's there's no there can be no argument against him to be a head coach. Now I I mean I'm not in these interview rooms. I, I don't know what happens in the process. I know Bienemy has gotten an interview or two. From from what I've heard, he doesn't blow people away in, in the interview process. So I guess that's what teams are looking for in terms of hiring a new coach. So I I don't know. I, I, I don't know what exactly the criteria is there, but certainly turning around a Washington offense now, not with the crutch of Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, it gives you uh, just another huge booster to the resume. Well, the commanders were 20th in yards and 26th in points, and they ranked 27th in yards per game and 28th in points per game, and that's just not going to get it done for the Washington commanders. And I think the enemy will, will go ahead and, and he'll put his fingerprints on this Washington commander's Offense. The thing is, if there's not enough wins by the commanders, then what happens? Ron Rivera, he may not be retained as head coach, and then you're turned upside down again. So I understand the transition to move to find stability in regards to making your own and being able to call the plays. But if there's a new coaching staff, depending on how they do this season, with the enemy being the offensive play caller 
and the offensive coordinator for the commanders. I, I do like the move, but I think that he's going to have to produce and produce immediately. Well, here, here's an interesting little list for you I, in terms of the candidates that the commanders interviewed for, for the offensive coordinator role. Uh, Biennemi really blew them out of the water. Daryl Bevel, the, the quarterback's coach for the Dolphins, has been uh, coaching the National Football League for a long time. He actually declined the interview request, as did Jim Caldwell, who has also been, has uh, NFL head coaching experience. But in terms of the people they actually did interview, you're talking about Anthony Lynn, who's with the 49ers now, uh, Greg Roman, who obviously the uh, Ravens let go, Pat Shermer. I mean, these, these are guys who don't have – the best connotation around them because they haven't had successful offenses, uh, especially like Pat Shermer. So uh, when when it came down to it, see, when, it, Eric Bieniemy is offered the job, obviously out of out of those guys. So yeah, I I think this is a great move. If you're a Washington fan, you have to be thrilled with this. Well, Washington, you know, eight and eight. And when you start looking at being in a division with Philadelphia, Dallas, the Giants. The you you got to find out if B Rob is healthy. We know that he was coming off of a half season after being shot. He was their leading rushing rusher last year, passing yards wise. Taylor Heineke. I mean, all right, it, easy easy on Heineke uh, there. Uh, you, you know, I, you want to you want to tear down Carson Wentz. You're not going to hear any uh, arguments from me. But I like Taylor Heineke. Well, we'll see what it, where, see what where, happens with Sam Howell too, because I think I think Sam Howell's a little bit of a gamer. Well, I I look forward to seeing what his implant imprint is going to be on the organization. If you're able to to increase the offensive production, I think that that's important. I mean, Wentz played in eight games. Howell only played in one. Wentz is going to get cut as I, well, and that's that's when you go ahead and you you go into the free agency pool and you just try to revitalize the Commanders and again Ron Rivera in a contract year with the Commanders. So it's going to be important that they find a way to get on top of that division. And if they're able to go ahead and in their division themselves, if you're able to to get past the Cowboys and have more production than the Cowboys have offensively. It's going to be a division in which you're starting to see a lot of new playmakers because Philadelphia will have a new offensive coordinator. Dallas, new offensive coordinator. The Giants, I think, are staying put. But Washington now with the new offensive coordinator. So it's a division, the NFC East, full of new coordinators. Yeah, and we can tie this in, and we'll talk about this in the last segment. We'll take our last break here. But the Commanders have the 16th overall pick in the draft here be interesting do you, do you mortgage the future and trade up for and try to take one of these early quarterbacks i mean you got a team at one could be looking to trade back could be looking to trade their current quarterback who knows so uh we, we can get into that as well you're listening to the final drive on this fantastic friday here on wnsp hope you all have a wonderful and safe Mardi Gras weekend as we're approaching Fat Tuesday here in the Port City. My name is David Palmer and I'm on WNFC 105.5. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5 on this fantastic Friday. I'm Corey Labounty, joined by Michael Brauner. 
taking your phone calls today. He did at 251-694-1055. And also, before the break, we were talking about the Washington Commanders and the route in which they should go from a quarterback standpoint, or they've gone in the direction of Eric Bieniemy with their offensive coordinator. And no, that's not a joke that he's moving on. There were some interesting jokes that people did not like at all by Tiger Woods. If you want to Google it, all you have to do is Google Tiger Woods prank. And I think you'll see what I'm talking about. Tiger Woods issues an apology today for his latest prank, um, which a lot of people did not find funny. And a lot of people don't find funny the fact that Justin Fields may be leaving the Chicago Bears after only two years of action. I don't know, Mike. Justin Fields, do you give him an opportunity to finish what he started in Chicago, or do you just go ahead and let him go? I mean, it's a hard – it's not – there's no easy answer here, but, I mean, I just think if you're the Bears and you either take, I don't know, Jalen Carter or Will Anderson or whoever at number one, or if you trade out a number one and, and get a haul, because you will get a haul for number one, with it, whether it's trading down to four with Indianapolis. If you do anything with that number one pick and watch Bryce Young – do what Bryce Young is going to do for the Texans, Colts, whoever. I, I think you're going to regret it. I, I just, I think he's that good. And Fields, he, he's done some okay things. I, I, I just, I don't know how good Justin Fields is. Well, if you're going to trade for him, I mean, you have to look in the situation. Of what, what are you going to get for him? And certainly you get a bigger haul for trading down from one to, I don't know, nine, uh, like what the Panthers have, I believe, than you would for just trading Justin Fields. Certainly. Well, I would I would hope so. And, and that's for sure. And if you don't, I mean, Chicago always needs to boost up their defense. So I, I think that. Personally, I, I think they're going to go defensively instead of offensively because you're looking at the Texans at two, the Cardinals at three, the Colts at four, and the Colts owner has already kind of publicly stated his interest in one Bryce Young, and I don't think that's just a smokescreen to make other teams go ahead and get him. The Colts do need a quarterback. No, I think Jim Irsay really is that foolish <laughs> to uh, to say who the, who they want at quarterback. Uh, he, he's Jim Irsay. He's, he's done some not so smart things. But, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's any se – I mean, it's not any secret that they need a quarterback. And, again, I, I think if you take a quarterback that's not Bryce Young uh, as the first quarterback off the board – I don't know what to tell you as as an executive. So, did he really leak that much? Probably not. But it just it, you just don't hear that from from executives. Well, we all talked about the NBA All Star Game that is getting ready to be started this weekend. Tonight, you have a couple of events going on that get it really started off, and also the Daytona Five Hundred this weekend and. Football, folks, XFL returning to your television screen, and there's going to be XFL starting up, and 
Scheduled for week one, the Vegas Vipers take on the Arlington Renegades. On ABC, the Orlando Guardians take on the Houston Roughnecks. And on Sunday, the St. Louis Battlehawks take on the San Antonio Brahmas. And the Seattle Sea Dragons take on the D.C. Defenders on Sunday. But I, I will be locked in to the St. Louis Battlehawks because I want to see one A.J. McCarron to see what he has left in the tank and to see if he can play himself back into the NFL. No doubt. Exciting stuff to see A.J. McCarron back on any kind of football field. So I'll, I'll, I'll definitely be checking that out. Especially coming off that torn ACL with the Atlanta Falcons back in 2021. I mean, A.J. with the Bengals basically held a clipboard, was able to get them in and, and was put in a different situation the Raiders didn't see a lot of action there. The Texans didn't see a lot of action there. And, of course, had that unfortunate injury. So, love to see him bounce back. And there are going to be different rules. The game timing, the kickoff rules will be different. You can have a double forward pass. The replay will be different. So, I like to see a different vantage point. Of course, we got indoctrinated to the USFL one year ago in which our Birmingham organization won the world championship and had a local player on there. Marlon Williams also from McGill Tulin in central Florida having an opportunity to shine in the USFL, but the XFL is kicking off this weekend. So football is back. We no longer have to wait six or seven months to go through that drought. We'll see that oblong pigskin be kicked through that H this weekend and we hope everybody has a safe and wonderful Mardi Gras weekend as we'll be coming back. We want to thank all our wonderful guests, Richie Riley, the head basketball coach at South Alabama, Tassie Washam, the head girls basketball coach at Theodore, Mick Gillespie joined us, Josh Walters talked about the high school baseball umpire situation, and Philip Murphy, the head boys basketball coach at McGill Tulin, all took part of the final drive here on WNSP. We'll be back on Monday. Look forward to talking to you then.